0: Married, father of two. Every day he drives his late model car to Food World, where he is assistant manager in line for a promotion. Bright, personable, competent. Jerry Landers has every reason to believe he's a young man with a future. And he is, but it isn't at Food World. Read this. God grants you an interview. It's a gag. Pretty crazy gag. What if you were given a chance Jerry, to meet and speak up here with God. Let's go for a ride. What would it take to convince you it wasn't a joke? Hello and welcome to the Christian Ease podcast. This is your host, Drew Fitzgerald, and today's topic is the divine appointment. When God interrupts your life. In college, I had a friend who had a wise saying. Well, we thought it was a wise saying. Whenever we went to a party or an event or something like that and someone asked who's going to be there, he would always say, it's not who's there, it's who else is there. Sounds kind of dumb now that I'm saying it. But what he meant was the person who is going to make your night is the person that you least expected to be there. Sure, your close friends, your roommates, your expected crew is going to be there, but who else? That was the wild card in the night. It only takes one chance meeting to change everything. Now, from a Christian worldview, we don't really have chance meetings. Everything's meant to be divinely ordained, whether that's seeing an old friend at the supermarket or meeting the love of your life at a party every time you run into somebody it's a divine appointment now divine appointment is kind of an old school idea it's the idea that there are some ordained meetings in your day that are without a doubt put together by god these meetings may be with another person or they may be with god himself whatever the interaction is god's presence in a divine appointment is impossible to ignore some people even make room in their schedule build in time to their day just in case God has a divine appointment for them. Many people pray for these sorts of appointments, eagerly wanting God to show up in their lives. And so they wait and look and try to feel God around them. I really like that sentiment. It comes from a good place. But the theology behind a divine appointment is pretty weak are we really that far separated from God? Is he really a principal or a life coach that we make appointments with? Maybe we should be asking this, how involved really is God in our everyday lives? Is God present even when we don't feel his presence? Now, God is not a man. He doesn't have a presence in the human sense that we can be with him and then at times without him. He is omnipresent. Omnipresence means that God is around every single particle in the universe at every moment, past, present, and future. Paul sums it up this way in Acts 17. He is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Now we may intellectually understand that God is omnipresent but that fact is not always readily discerned with our senses. When we do sense his presence it's called his manifest presence. Typically when we encounter God in this way we describe it as a mountaintop experience. Our conversion stories fall into that category. My story happened in a car driving in north-central Arkansas. I was leaning my head against the car window, looking out at the stars. I could clearly see the Little Dipper. It was cold, and suddenly, it was like I got hit with a shooting star. Something that finally made all of the sermons I'd ever heard just click. In that moment, I knew God was there because the gospel became real it wasn't a bunch of words it was truth that God saw me and loved me and sent his son to die for me who was crucified for me and resurrected three days later that I was saved by grace through faith there was a warmth a divine embrace There was something about that night sky that made me recognize who I was and God's grandeur that he even noticed me. A few months later, I was on a backpacking trip in South Colorado. I was sitting on a mound of dirt and grass in this open glade, looking up at the peak of Mount Columbia as the Milky Way turned overhead, and I read Psalm 8. When I look at the moon and the stars... And the things your hand have made i wonder what is man that you have noticed us who am i that you've seen me god then i randomly turned to psalm 19 the heavens declare the glory of god the sky displays his handiwork day after day it speaks out and night after night it reveals his greatness there's no actual speech or word nor is its voice literally heard Yet its voice echoes throughout the earth, and its words carry into the distant horizon. I can't really explain the experience, but I knew that God was there, that he was with me, that somehow through the Psalms and the stars, he came and met with me. Those are my two mountaintop experiences. One is the moment that I came to faith, and the other is a seeming confirmation of that. But they're my experiences. They are personal, subjective moments. And that leads us to the crux of the problem. I was raised in a time of moral, therapeutic deism. That is, my generation was taught and believed, and to a grand extent still believes, that God wants you to be good, and if you are good, then you will feel good. If I feel good, there's no way I can actually be doing wrong, and if I have an inexplicably grand moment with God, it must mean that I am good, maybe even that I deserve to be noticed by God. Now put that mindset against the backdrop of American evangelicalism, where worship is an event to be felt where we read passages of scripture waiting for something to jump off the page at us, where small groups are filled with statements that begin with, well, for me, we are used to defining our spiritual lives by our feelings. We also live in a consumerist church culture, where we can pick what church we want to go to based on what needs we feel like we need met. If you want a good sermon, you can go to this church. If you want good worship, you can go to that church. If you want a great children's ministry, you go to the third. In a sense, we have commoditized experience, and we sell it to win Sunday wars against other churches. This hyper-focus on felt experiences, or divine appointments, has caused us to gloss over the objective reality of who God is and the revelation He's already given us. Furthermore, if the primary knowledge of who God is and how he sees us comes through feeling, then we can't just focus on the positive feelings. We have to wrestle with what it means when we feel like God is distant, when we feel like he doesn't hear us or has forgotten us. That's a terrifying prospect. When our knowledge of God becomes overly dependent on emotional experience, We lose track of Him in our everyday life and begin to have difficulty talking to one another about God. On top of that, we've moved away from the omnipresent God in whom we live and move and have our being to a Sunday morning God whom we visit in a certain time in a certain building. Thankfully, we can filter our subjective experiences through God's objective word. Simply feeling like God is distant doesn't mean he is. Likewise, God's primary purpose for us is not to have mountaintop experiences. To extend that analogy, no fruit grows on top of the mountains. It all grows in the valleys. Christian, you had a divine appointment when God called you, and since that moment, you've been divinely appointed to be and make disciples. God is omnipresent. That should change the way you look at every moment of your life. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, called a temple of the Holy Spirit. This means that God's presence and love for you is not dependent on how you feel. Feelings come and go, but God never changes. Therefore, there are no throwaway moments. Every moment is surrounded by God. In Him we live and move and have our being. It gives a new holistic view to Paul's phrase, to live is Christ. It gives purpose to the mundane moments of life, to everything we do and think. That's why Psalms 19 says, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my sheltering rock, and my Redeemer. 1 Corinthians 10 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. It's in our work. Colossians three twenty three. whatever you do, work at it with all enthusiasm, as if you were working for the Lord and not for people. You have one life and no part of it is less spiritual than another. The call is not to look for special moments in order to be faithful, but to treat every opportunity as a moment to serve God. David puts it best in Psalm 139, O Lord, you examine me and know. You know when I sit down and when I get up. Even from far away, you understand my motives. You carefully observe me when I travel And when I lie down to rest, you are aware of everything I do. Certainly, my tongue does not frame a word without you, O Lord, being thoroughly aware of it. Certainly, you made my mind and heart. You wove me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks because your deeds are awesome and amazing. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret and sewed together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was in the womb. All the days ordained for me were recorded in your scroll before one of them came into existence. Examine me and probe my thoughts. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any idolatrous tendency in me and lead me in the reliable ancient path. Don't wait for a divine appointment. You're already divinely appointed. This episode was brought to you in part by The Better Samaritan Podcast, where Jamie Ayton and Kent Annan discuss everything from simple acts of kindness to complex humanitarian challenges with their guests. Want to learn how to faithfully do good better? Find insights at The Better Samaritan.